0: Dr. Gary Bell
1: welcome everybody all right today we're talking about panic attacks you know a panic attack is a sudden rush of fear and anxiety that causes both physical and psychological symptoms and the level of fear that he's experienced is unrealistic and out of proportion to whatever the events or the, whatever the circumstances are that trigger the panic attack. So anyone can have a single panic attack. But frequently in ongoing episodes might be a sign of a panic or anxiety disorder. And that requires close medical attention and treatment because many times it resembles things like a respiratory disorder or a heart attack. And so the, you know it, the physical symptoms are this. It's usually fast breathing, shortness of breath, uh, severe uh, 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 perspiration, trembling, nausea, cramping, dizziness, feeling faint, uh, numbness or tingling, chills or sensations of heat like hot flashes, uh, a tightness of the chest and the throat, uh, increased heart rate, disconnection from yourself, so you disassociate in some ways. Imminent danger is a feeling you might feel, and a strong desire to flee or avoid the situations. And so, you know, it may be accompanied after that by the fear of dying, which means your life is no longer in your control. And when people go through that, it is a life changing event for them. Uh, The onset of the symptoms is usually sudden and can develop from either a, a calm or anxious state. But some people experience limited symptom panic attacks, which consists of less than a four of the common symptoms that I was speaking about. And so panic attacks last from from about five to 20 minutes, generally peaking in about the middle. And and a panic attack can occur a whole lot of times within the span of a few hours, and some people every day or once a week. And those who have frequent panic attacks often come to recognize the situations that trigger an attack and learn to be prepared. However, some people are completely caught off guard. And that means that it's coming from some type of subconscious material. And what that material generally is 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 a fear-based flight-or-flight flight mechanism where it's stored in what's called the limbic system above the brainstem. And then the limbic system, it sits above the brainstem, stores memories to basically preserve your life. So, for instance, if you're being chased by a car, maybe your limbic system will remember the sounds, the smells, the 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 environment the colors of the, of the environment whatever it's going to remember it's going to remember and it traces itself into those memories it, it it puts them into that limbic system so that if you ever hear a streaking car suddenly your brain will go to fight or flight without even thinking about it to make you live and unfortunately that is the main driver of a panic attack and it can mimic a heart attack in a heart attack or a panic attack an individual may feel symptoms like chest pain shortness of breath and sweating however the chest pain in a panic attack can be sharp and stabbing while a heart attack may feel like squeezing or pressure in the chest and so stress induces the symptoms of a panic attack but the physical exertion can bring on a heart attack and so it's both of them can affect each other. So the the panic attack may cause a heart attack. Also, vomiting may, uh, may accompany a heart episode. And symptoms of a panic attack will subside, but symptoms worsen in a heart attack. And so that's the difference. The symptoms worsen in a heart attack. The cause of panic attacks, really, not many people understand it. There's a whole lot of theories, but there's, you know, there's even a chemical imbalance in the brain or, or a genetic predisposition. But I would suggest it's probably a collective of a lot of things. And one would be trauma. Number two would be a high amount of anxiety. Three would be a, 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 a feeling always judged by other people, always worrying about how you're seen, a feeling vulnerable in your life. And the panic attack just resembles the, the sense of, you know, diving off a, a building without a net and so a lot of people go through these things and so it, you know the dual diagnosis on top of anxiety is usually depression and depression is unmet expectations so if you're a perfectionist you're liable to be a person who will experience anxiety and panic attacks and even a panic disorder simply because you live in fear You live in fear. You live in in a concern and and an expectation for yourself that causes you to develop a negative narrative about yourself when those expectations are not met. And so what people do is they tend to go through life with unmet expectations, collect evidence that they are a failure in their eyes and other people's eyes, and they live according to that because they have to be right. The problem is, is the the thought disorder of depression is very much steered around expectations. And so if you want to change that, you go to a preference. People that live in a preference have more peace in their life. If you convert all your unhealthy expectations to a preference, you have a better shot of not having anxiety. But the other part of it is, is to understand that life is a faith-based venture. It's not a fear-based venture. So when faith enters, fear leaves. When fear enters, faith leaves. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about Christianity or any other religion. What I'm really talking about is the idea that we take leaps of faith all day long, but we do not know what the outcomes are going to be. We get out of the car, we go to the store, we we buy a house, we get married, we have children, we go to the doctor, we go to the hospital, we do all kinds of things. We go to the office, we take a new job, we move to a new city, we take chances in this life. That is what life is. It's experiential learning without the fear of failure. Experiential learning. Fear of failure is silly. Life is about the scientific process that helps us evolve. We have to fail and it's how you perceive failure that can cause so much anxiety in your life. And so what we have to understand is, if we live our life in faith, we have a better shot of realizing a greater and more enjoyable life all over the place in all facets of our life, simply because we're enjoying the journey rather than fearing the outcomes. You know, a a, a panic attack can also happen during sleep, and it also can happen for the overuse of alcohol or nicotine or caffeine and the side effects of some medical and recreational drugs can also trigger panic attacks. But, the, you know, the general one that happens is night terror and night terror can occur when a vigil's sleeping, causing them to wake up suddenly with feelings of fear and dread. And, you know, do they if we have to ask ourselves, does it happen in young people? Of course, adolescents and young people who have panic attacks have other mental health issues often also and a significant risk of developing other conditions such as obsessive compulsive disorder to try to stop themselves from a panic attack. Uh, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance use, uh, uh, a substance abuse disorder. And so the problem is, is that when they have a panic attack, all of a sudden they feel their life's out of control. Maybe it's a dream that triggered it. And they have these night terrors. And now they fear terror in the night all the time. And unfortunately, that will move itself into all kinds of other diagnosis. It's very important for that stuff to get treated immediately by a mental health professional. People who have panic disorder and experience frequent panic attacks often make a lot of lifestyle changes, like trying to avoid events in settings where symptoms are more likely to occur, is that really how you want to live your life? By narrowing down to a funnel of things that you find that you will not fear. That's not a way to go through it. You need to go towards the problem, not away from the problem. Unfortunately, this can use, lead you to develop things like special phobias, like a social phobia that so many people are experiencing these days, or agoraphobia, agoraphobia Excuse me, where you, you keep yourself inside your house and never leave. You know, avoid social situations for fear of triggering an attack. You know, that means we're not going to have relationships. If we have no relationships, how are we going to have happiness? How are we going to have joy in our life if we limit ourselves to just sitting inside our our home and, and, and watching television or social media and never really connecting with other people in this world? You know, cognitive behavior therapy can help change the way one thinks and reacts to situations that create fear and it's an important ingredient to treating any kind of panic disorder. Relaxation and mindfulness exercises like deep breathing, meditation, biofeedback, yoga, massage, guided imagery, progressive muscle relaxation, All of this can help reduce the anxiety and stress that leads to a panic attack. Even antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications can control symptoms. You know, so desensitization is and visualization is something that many people have gone towards to try to help with a panic attack. You know, like uh, desensitization is called like systematic desensitization or in vivo, which means you just go into the experience that you fear and you experience it. And that may help cure it. Other people, it's moving towards the fear gradually, taking baby steps until they get to the final time when they actually confront what they're afraid of. And then they they go. It's like, like getting in an airplane. Maybe they experience Uh, Maybe they sit, sit in a confined area. Maybe they sit in a public area. Maybe they sit in the airport. Maybe they sit in different places, but they find themselves getting closer and closer and closer towards the airplane until they eventually enter the airplane and actually experience the airplane. You know, what happens in panic attacks goes untreated is, is horrible. Frequent panic attacks are diagnosed as a panic disorder. And if they're untreated, That person may develop phobias such as agoraphobia or the fear of leaving the home, or they may end up being uh, in the hospital constantly trying to assess whether they're having a heart attack. You know, the individual may also develop mood disorders, including depression, anxiety, even suicidal ideation. You know, they will want to avoid situations that turn into substance and then they basically can turn to substance use or alcohol abuse. There's all kinds of things that happen when people let this disorder pervasively affect their life. You know, there's a rule of anxiety. It's an easy technique to remember and use in the moment if something is triggering your anxiety. And it involves looking around your environment to identify three objects. So this is called the 333 rule. Three objects, three sounds, and then move three body parts. Many people find this strategy helps them focus and ground them when anxiety overwhelms them. If your anxiety is constant or interfering in multiple areas of life, you need to to have more temporary coping strategies. Like anxiety disorders can be treated with medication or therapy or lifestyle changes. If you're experiencing anxiety symptoms regularly and with severity, you definitely want to visit a doctor. You know, they can help connect you with the right mental health sources and find out an individualized particular treatment that works only for you. You know, here's the other thing about anxiety. Now, let's just go from a biological perspective. You know, your brain, if you deny it of oxygen, what will happen is the brain will pull the oxygen out of your bloodstream. So that means the other Organs that are operating in your body, like your heart and your stomach and your lungs, kidneys and the liver, they all get denied the oxygen that helps them churn. And if that happens and the brain is only getting most of the oxygen, your body starts to feel like it's dying. That can trigger a panic attack. I would suggest that a lot of people who have trouble breathing through their mouth and breathe through their nose have a lot of trouble with anxiety and depression simply because they deny their body enough oxygen for it to function properly. The other thing to realize is that people only breathe through one nostril at a time. That's why we get boogers. So every four hours, one side is breathing and the other side is drying up. And so it goes back and forth and back and forth every four hours. And so what we have to understand is you're only getting a straw's worth of oxygen if you're a nose breather. Many people do that at night. They develop nose breathing, and unfortunately they find themselves with a sleep disorder because they find themselves having a night terror or just trouble sleeping in general. And so if you want to be somebody that has enough oxygen in your body – It'd be a wise idea to have a bottle, a sports bottle with an aerator on top like the Gatorade bottles and basically have that by your bedside or have it with you wherever you go because that aerator converts the oxygen out of the water into your body so your body doesn't have to break it down. And the real trigger to understand here is that oxygen in water is about 86%. And then the air is about 23%. So we get much more oxygen out of water with an aerator on the sports bottle than we do from the air itself. That's why it takes longer for somebody to do deep breathing than it does for them to get water through an aerator next to their bedstand. That is going to help calm your brain down. Then your brain releases the oxygen and allows your body to restabilize. You know, Another way to deal with panic attacks, and this doesn't solve it, but this is a basically a, a biological trick you play on your body. Um, many teachers learned this back in the 50s and the 40s, is that if you um, eat uh, sour candy while you're nervous, while you're experiencing anxiety, what happens is your brain doesn't understand why you're eating while you are having a panic attack or having anxiety because normally we don't feel hungry when we are having a panic attack so the brain gets very confused sour candy is the it's at least sour is the the most profound taste our tongue can taste and so it indicates immediately to the brain that we're eating and when that happens if you're sucking on the sour candy it's going down your throat And your brain is very confused as to, how am I supposed to have this fear-based thought and be eating at the same time? It just doesn't gel. And so oftentimes the brain will alleviate the fear so that you can survive and eat. And it's a trick, but it does work. And many people use that trick on what's called test anxiety. So if you think about a panic disorder, it's where you have reoccurring and regular panic attacks. Uh, And it's often no reason that you can logically indicate. Everyone experiences feelings of anxiety and panic at certain times in their life. It's natural to respond to stressful and dangerous situations. However, for someone with a panic disorder, feelings of anxiety, stress, and panic occur regularly and at any time. And so let's break down anxiety in itself. You know, if you look at it, it's a feeling of unease. And we're going to go into more about anxiety and panic attacks after we take this quick break. So come back.
0: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about panic attacks. And one of the derivatives of panic attacks, the things that really builds us into a panic attack, is living a life full of anxiety. And anxiety can range from mild to severe and even include uh, feelings of worry and fear. And there's also a lot of conditions that can cause severe anxiety, such as phobias, an extreme or irrational fear of of an object, of a place, of a situation, of a feeling, of an animal. Then there's a generalized anxiety disorder, which is a long-term condition, and that causes excessive anxiety and worry relating to very uh, various situations, but oftentimes that means you come from a fear-based psychology. that means you fear everything and you catastrophize everything. and when you do that, you are overthinking so are causing so many biological symptoms to hurt your body through stress. you know if you understand anxiety. Anxiety and stress go together. And one of the genes that we all carry in our uh, genetic thing of 32 common genes that we all have is a stress gene. And that gene dictates how long you're going to live. That gene dictates your exit strategy. So let's say you're 40 years old and you've lived your whole life in stress. Likely at some point that gene in your brain is going to go, hey, It's time to go. I'm really tired of living like this. And so what happens is if you have cancer or heart disease or whatever your predisposition is, diabetes, whatever it is, it turns on that gene. And that gene is going to run for the rest of your life. And yes, some doctor may cure you of a heart attack. You may get cured of cancer, but likely it will come back because that gene does not stop going. It keeps on going until you're done. And so if you're going to play around with anxiety and fear and stress, you have a high propensity to die young. So also post-traumatic stress disorder, this is a condition with psychological and physical symptoms because we go constantly into fight or flight based on the roots that happen that are related to a traumatic event that we experience in our life. And every time anything rubs against that type of event, any kind of sensation, could be a smell, it could be a feeling, it could be something we see, something we hear, or whatever that is. All of a sudden, we go into fight or flight, and that has to do with what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. All of this can be healed, by the way. All of it. You just have to want to pursue getting it healed. You know, a panic attack occurs when your body experiences a rush of intense psychological and mental, uh, which would be mental, physical symptoms. And you experience an overwhelming sense of fear and apprehension and anxiety. And along with that, you might feel nausea, sweating, trembling, a sensation that your heart is being irregular, has irregular heartbeats. So, in, in, in the number of panic attacks you will have depend on how severe your condition is. But some people may have one or two attacks each month, while others may have several attacks in a week, and they can be frightening and very intense. And so we have to understand that there is a lot of medical situations that also can trigger the physical symptoms of panic attacks. One of them is mitral valve prolapse, where we have a valve in our heart that is not the right shape. And it causes our heart to skip beats. There's also POTS, which is uh, postural, or esthetic, tight uh, ty- ty- car- ty- excuse me, syndrome. There's also anemia. There's also uh uh tachycardia. There's also thyrotoxosis and poorly controlled by diabetes, adrenal tumors, um, you know, uh, there's also uh, other types of symptoms like Zollinger-Ellison syndrome that causes overproduction of insulin and low blood sugar. So there's a lot of medical symptoms that you want to have ruled out by your general practitioner oftentimes at the same time or before you treat the actual panic attack. Also, treating panic disorder, the aim of treating it is to reduce the number of attacks you have and ease the severity of your symptoms. It's probably not, if you've, especially if you've had it for a long period of time, it's not gonna go away magically. It takes a little bit of time. Sometimes it takes a medication to assist. And so having a dual treatment strategy may not be a bad thing. You know, it's also very important for you to tell uh, the – anybody that you're driving in a car with, even the DMV, that you have this kind of disorder because then it can affect people's lives by you having a panic attack. You may have a car accident which kills other people or it hinders other people's lives. And so, you know, it's it's treatable. We have to make a full recovery. It's important that you seek medical help as soon as possible and mental help as soon as possible both simultaneously if you can. And it can become a very debilitating and isolating thing if you let it go. It can dictate the course of your life and become pervasive. And we don't need that. You know, going to the ER for an anxiety is not uncommon, but is unneeded in most situations. Typically, anxiety and panic attacks only last 10, maybe four to like maybe 20 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes. And they can be remedied by lying down, or with uh, breathing exercises. So it's recommended to take deep, slow breaths through the nose and out through the mouth and also drink water. You know, an anxiety emergency or extreme panic attack may require an ER visit because you don't want to know think you're having a panic attack when you're actually having a heart attack. But extreme cases of hyperventilation can lead to tachycardia and an occurrence when the heart is beating so fast that it's unable to properly pump blood through the body. And so most cases of anxiety don't require medical attention immediately at the ER. But if you're experiencing regular panic attacks, you probably want to go to the ER, especially if you have chest pains. Sometimes anxiety and panic attacks are early signs of cardiovascular disease. And you should also visit the ER if you're experiencing tachycardia, which can be fatal in extreme cases. So no matter your symptoms, it's, it's better to be safe than sorry. But if you'd like to learn more about what happens when you go to anxiety, you probably want to reach out to your doctor and ask them about when should I go and when shouldn't I go. The panic spiral is a really terrific jam of anxiety in your mind. And it may start with an overwhelming to-do list of family things. It may be trying to please everybody and nobody's pleased. It may be the oncoming divorce that you may be facing or some financial reckoning or losing your job. There's all kinds of things that can make us feel unhinged and untethered. And that's okay. Life is full of that. But we also have to believe in ourselves enough that we can get through it. And this is a problem, especially uh, with uh, families that live paycheck to paycheck. When families live paycheck to paycheck and can't manage their finances, don't have the money in the bank, they live without a net. And when people live without a net, they live like a teenager. And if you're going to live as an adult like a teenager where you have no financial net and you're providing that for your family in that way and that's how your family functions, you're doing your family and yourself a great disservice. You need to have money in the bank so that you can survive. That is an important Uh, lifestyle aspect that you have to know that if something happens, I've got three months worth of bills to be paid in the bank that I can pay and it's going to be all right. You know, before we can tackle, you know, anxiety, we need a little background on how nervous system functions. It's because it's really important to understand when the nervous system perceives a stressor like money all the time. It it hijacks the brain. It takes the controls away from the prefrontal cortex, which is what's called your executive uh, uh, functioning. And without your executive functioning, we are not human. We need our prefrontal cortex to be a human being. That is an important ingredient of our life. But if you're going to hijack the highways that go there by living in fear and allowing your amygdala, which is your emotions, to run the show, the amygdala is like a super muscle. It's very well – It's very. the traffic in there is very well designed. The highways, the neurological highways are awesome. But sometimes you're, if you're going to hijack the prefrontal cortex and always live in fear, you're going to do what you feel rather than what you think. And so people that do what they feel all the time allow their feelings to run their life. Like, do I feel like getting up and going to work? No, I don't. You know, do I feel like having this conflict? No, I don't. Okay, do I feel like, you know... Uh, 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 going on this trip no I don't so we do what we feel and we stop being productive and that my friends leads to depression and so what we have to understand is if you're going to be depressed you're going to why why am I not being able to get out of bed well it's because I live in my feelings so if you're going to live that way you're allowing anxiety and depression to run your life it's go do what you're supposed to do then check in with how you feel that's when you know you're getting better Go work out and then check in with how you feel. Now you may find that you have more control of your life. You know, uh, the, the part of your brain that is responsible for curiosity, creativity, intelligence, empathy, logic is your prefrontal cortex. If you want to be a good survival survivor, don't live in your reactions. Live in your response. Which is the logic. Stop making decisions while you're emotional. Wait until you're logical. And then you will do a better job managing depression and anxiety. You know, problems arise when this part of our brain, the amygdala, mistakes an everyday stressor for a legitimate survival threat. So if we're going to walk around in fight or flight, we're basically walking around with a lizard brain. We're just surviving. You know, and it jumps into the pilot seat and it will run the show because it thinks you always have to survive. People that live in catastrophization, you know, predicting the worst possible outcomes all the time and then preparing emotionally for those outcomes are creating a life of anxiety and depression. And yes, they are likely to live in those panic attacks. So how do we get out of that lizard brain and gain back our uh, resourceful thinking and clarity so we can find productive solutions and relieve ourselves from tension and pain? You know, it's called peace. Peace is acceptance. That's why I talk about a preference. You could communicate a preference all day long and you're never gonna offend anybody. Now I'm gonna teach people how to love me. By giving them preferences. But the deal is, is that we have to come back and understand that we are not designed to live in in tension and pain. We are designed to live through our intellect. And so there's a lot of process involved to get us back to that. Number one is we have to stop the spiral. You have to notice your state. We have to notice the clues of your nervous system has been activated. That's number one. You know, do your neck and shoulders tighten? Does your breath become shallow? Maybe you get sweaty palms or certain feeling in the pit of your stomach. Some people find that it starts with a brain fog while others go straight to a headache or back pain. Stress shows up in our bodies in a variety of ways and that is the early warning sign that we all have to pay attention to that something is about to happen from an anxiety perspective, whether it's a panic attack, panic disorder, panic itself, anxiety, generalized anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, it arrives through physical symptoms in our body. Also, we have to establish safety. We have to hit the pause button on stressors for just a minute and develop a safety strategy. The simplest way to take a break from anxiety is to identify its primary trigger, walk away from it. If your boss is stressing you out, step outside the office for a moment, and take a walk, or at least take a break. Go to the bathroom. Even if your anxiety centers on something you can't literally get away from, like intrusive thoughts about the past or the future, get up and change the scenery while sometimes creating a temporary sense of space between you and your worries. And you only need a brief window of safety to move into the next step. But that's how we reset our brain, and that's important. And resetting your brain You know, it it usually centers on anticipating, you know, if you're going to figure out future stresses or you're going to ruminate on the past stressors, one way to calm your lizard brain down is to get back into control of the prefrontal cortex. It's to connect with the present moment by noticing your felt sensations in real time in the moment you're in, in just that moment, not the past, not the present, not the future, just the here, just this moment and just be there and only focus on calming the symptoms down. The only reason our emotions amp up, they cannot last more than three minutes unless you have a logical reason why you're feeling that way. And the people that have to collect evidence as to why they're feeling an emotion oftentimes are going to have what are called panic attacks. That's because they create a tidal wave. The, worst, the first wave comes in of your emotions. That's fine. Let it hit the shore, but don't add logic to it. I feel this way because this happened. I feel this way because I'm afraid this is going to happen. I feel this way because of this, because of that. Every time you do that, you're adding three more minutes to the same emotion. And it's like the wave keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And eventually, it's a tidal wave. And then eventually, it runs the show. So emotions, if you don't feed them, they die like a wave. So, you know, go, okay, I'm worried. Yep, I'm worried. Worried, worried. Really afraid. Yeah. You see, if I'm not fueling it with a reason, I'm not giving it what it needs to live. And that is the way that we reset our brain. You also have to identify your feelings and your needs. Uncover the underlying cause of any kind of panic spiral. Once you've turned down the alarm bells going off in your head, you can invite your prefrontal cortex back. The problem is, is that people have a tendency to be passive aggressive. So they bottle it up and they bottle it up and it's thematic. You know, they never listen to me. They never listen to me. They never listen to me. And then eventually somebody never listens to you and you blow up and look like a huge monster. And people that are afraid of conflict live with enormous amounts of interpersonal anxiety and sarcasm and anger issues because they're always feeling disrespected and they're always feeling afraid. And if you want to live in rage, that's a good way to do it. Feel disrespected, not heard, no voice, and have rage because you're in fr- you're afraid. You put those two together and you've got fear, you've got anxiety, and you have rage, which will run your life. And so the bottom line is, if we want to control that, if we want to control that, we have to stop feeding it. And that means we move to the moment we're in. And if you want to have a life that doesn't have enormous amounts of anxiety and fear, then have confrontation be one of the best things you do. And the best way to do conflict is be the adult. You know, I'm really upset because this happened. This is what you did. This is how I felt. And this is what it made me have to do. There's confrontation. How awful is that? Does that have to be so dramatic? Does it have to be an opera or a Broadway production, or can it be something very simple and straightforward? That's adult to adult, and that's how we should treat our children, our spouse, and anybody else that we come in contact with. Use your words, not your tone, not your body language. Use your words to express your feelings, your thoughts, what happened to you, what you would have liked to happen. No big deal. But people will spend their whole life avoiding conflict, and it's kind of sad because you don't have to live that way. Also, if you want to understand boundaries, understand how to say no, because if children, if you tell them no, they don't care if you say no. What they care about is how hard is it for you to say no. So if it's like no, 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 or no, or no, 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 i told you a million times, no. Okay, that means there's a Yes. Because you are having such a hard time setting boundaries. People that have a hard time setting boundaries, everybody knows who they are because they make it such a Broadway production to set a boundary. How about no? And the person goes, but, 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 no means no. Do you have to explain your no all the time? No, you don't. You have to just know what's healthy and what's not healthy. That's it. You have to know what intentions are. You have to know outcomes. You have to be wise. People that set boundaries are wise. They are not rude. They have healthy boundaries, which means they have respect for themselves, which allows us in this world to respect you. Also, we have to take action. We have to create a game plan to to address your needs. Pick out uh, just one of the uh, needs, which is maybe how to calm down. Maybe that's go for a walk. Maybe that's your plan. You go for a walk. Maybe you just take a break. Maybe you go get some water. Maybe you go to the bathroom. Do something, but have a game plan so you have a go-to before you blow up and do something stupid or say something stupid that you'll regret for the rest of your life. That's the bottom line. That's how we manage ourselves. So We're going to talk a lot more about this, about how to calm ourselves down and how to identify fear, how to feel when we're having a panic attack in our body and understand what those symptoms are. So let's take a break, and we're going to come right back, and we're going to go straight into this. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell
0: is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, panic attacks. And, you know, fear is a protective mechanism... And it's really honestly designed to protect us from danger. And it's key to our survival. But unfortunately, both real and imagined threats can trigger the real fear response that perpetuates this cycle of anxiety. So in anxiety disorders that lead to panic attacks, they spiral out of control when the fear of fear trumps the reality of the situation. Instead of being fearful of an actual threat, the fear response hijacks the brain and creates a Neurobiological sensation of fear when in reality there is no threat and nothing to be afraid of. And so anxiety is contagious. And here's the interesting facts. It runs in families. Children with anxious parents are at a higher risk of developing anxiety disorder. So up to 50% of children of anxious parents grow up to be anxious adults. Surprise, surprise. And if we also look at developmental theory, in order to cope with the potential de- de- debilitating anxiety, kids have to start avoiding whatever provo- provokes ang- anxious feelings. For example, if a child's afraid of the dark, or they might insist on sleeping with the lights on, if they have a fear of failure, they may become too afraid to start new things. And so, you know. Uh, if you look at Eric Erickson's stages of uh, psychological development, like all children from age five to 12, you know, the rite of passage is industry, which is competence versus inferiority. So they face a really strong existential question. Can I make it in the world of people and things? And now Erickson, thought that if children are encouraged to master skills and face their fears, it leads to feelings of competence. If children aren't encouraged to develop skills and given autonomy to cope with challenges on their own, as often the case with the helicopter parent, it can lead to inferiority complexes, a lack of self-confidence, and anxiety. So we have this nature and nurture, and both of that appears to play a role in someone's predisposition for anxiety. But, you know, that that inborn temperament of life experiences play a role in the anxiety cycle. If we are going to live in fear, or have parents that live in fear, we are going to experience that life is to be afraid of. That in itself creates enormous anxiety. So there's, you know, there's there's the the, the competent person dealing with the anxieties, learning. And invertly taught by parents who are prone to anxiety and model the behavior to their children. But a person that is competent and feels confident in their life, they've experienced, they've done things, they've they've succeeded, they've not succeeded. They've learned to, to deal with failure as, a, as an opportunity to learn. They understand what it is, takes to be resilient in life, and that is to bounce back and not go into the fear-based ideas of what your life is going to be because you fail. Failure is... A very important part of learning. You know, when a child or an adult imagines something fearful, oftentimes the mind can't tell if the threat is real or imaginary. So instead of focusing on a fearful situation in the real world, someone focuses on the fearful thoughts in their mind. Whereas a real situation of danger is avoided or resolved, the mind can replace scary thoughts indefinitely. And that's called rumination. And if we do that, we're going to make our life and our brain feel like life is scary. One of the easiest ways to reduce anxiety and break the cycle is a reality check. Learn how to recognize when a fear is unhealthy, truthful, based in reality. Take a stab at faith. Take a stab at faith and land there. I have faith that. So take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. On one side of it, I fear dot, 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 and then answer that fear with, I have faith that, dot, 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 and answer it and stay there and see what your life will look like. You know, if you you think that something's going to hurt you, if you think uh, that someone's going to yell at you, if you're thinking that every situation is going to be a bad situation, you're going to set yourself up for a life of fear. You know, we have to break break fear of that if we're going to have a full and rich life. The secret to overcoming fear is simply to recognize one element that you can take control of, which is to identify actual danger from your own imaginary threats, and then respond accordingly. You know, fear is an important survival mechanism, but it's all too often the fear of fear that spirals out of control, and that's what makes us go crazy, And likely, you know, doing an easy reality check, people of all ages can learn to break the cycle of anxiety. So what that means, going all in and no avoiding and no distracting. So here's the three elements that we have to really look at. What are our thoughts? Identify those core beliefs and challenge unhelpful thinking. What are our feelings? Learn to tolerate uncomfortable feelings and physical sensations and not give in to them and let them dictate your life. Also, we want to identify Behaviors, identify behavior patterns and choose a different way of behaving. Maybe you take a break and do something different than you used to do. Maybe you go about going somewhere in a different path. Maybe you give yourself different sensations so that you can find your way through. Maybe you chew gum and walk at the same time. Wouldn't that be nice? Break the anxiety cycle. You need to become aware of that cycle. So you, instead of letting your anxious thoughts and feelings drive your behavior, you'll learn to slow down. Down your thoughts, feelings and behaviors. And we often talk about becoming like a, like a research scientist when you're evaluating your own thoughts and feelings and behaviors. If you think about a typical scientist, their goal is to objectively study a phenomenon. They have a hypothesis, but they are willing, if they're ethical, to disapprove and affirm their hypothesis based on the evidence. So when it comes to your thoughts and feelings, you're going to become a scientist. That means you're gonna be objective and you're gonna take a step back and observe what is going on without judgment or preconceived notions. You are going to disassociate from the life you have and look from the outside in and take an objective view of is this rational, is this logical. And let that person be the one who runs your life rather than the one that's in fear. As you learn to experience thoughts and feelings as an observer, you're increasing your personal power and you decrease the power of a thought or a feeling that has over you. Then you allow you to consciously choose your own behaviors. And guess what? That means you have control of your life. So if you're going to overcome panic disorders and symptoms like panic attacks, you have to understand what's happening in your body when you experience the attack. You have to gather knowledge about the disorder and work out your underlying triggers that can be starting point for dealing with the condition. So that means I need to know what the red flags are earlier. I also, it, it, you know, anxiety is likely to cause worries and physical feelings as you uh, uh, start a, a, a panic disorder. Anxiety is a normal part of a fight or flight response to uncertainty, feeling unprepared, troubled, which prepares us to act quickly in the face of danger. But it also teaches us to be afraid of failure. So, you know, panic disorder results from misinterpreting sensations linked to the fight or flight response as dangerous. Just because we go in a Walmart and we've been at war and been shot at doesn't mean that we're going to be shot at while we're walking through Walmart, depending on where you live. And so we have to really understand that, hey, I have to be uh, less, less freaked out about My experience of being around people and they're having objects around me where I can't see where everybody is and just be able to relax and enjoy the experience and likely I'm going to walk out with what I need and everything's going to be fine. Unfortunately, people will live in fear. They'll allow themselves to have the fight or flight. They'll give that all the power and let it dictate their life. You know, although scary, panic attacks are harmless. Their body's alarm system kicking in, just like what happens in your home when your fire alarm goes off and there's no fire. Sometimes something triggers it, and God only knows what it is, but it goes off. Maybe it's a battery that's dying. Maybe it's something else. Who knows? But sometimes that happens. Maybe maybe there's fire outside, and maybe that is giving you an indicator that now there's a fire inside, but it's just a maybe a forest fire 20 miles away or something like that. Well, it's great the alarm rang, but it doesn't mean you have to pull your hair out and run out the door and and, and, uh, in your your pajamas. I mean, that's just not what we need to be doing. Unfortunately, when fire alarm goes off in our brain, we just react to it. And if you're going to let that happen and run your life, it will run your life. You know, once you understand what your panic disorder is, why you're experiencing the systems, then you can begin to learn to cope with them. The goal is not to eliminate the attacks, but to find a way to manage them without fear. And that will give you the sense that you are back in control. You know, you want to have relaxation techniques to calm your body down, relax your muscles, help you think more rationally. Understand, I'm not going to make a decision while I'm having a panic attack. I am going to experience it. I'm going to stop logically deducing why I'm having it. And I'm going to sit here until it goes away. That's how to deal with it, folks. You know, breathe, drink water. You know, you don't have to hyperventilate, but if you have to, to calm yourself down, maybe that's good. You know, over can cause you to feel lightheaded and dizzy, but that's okay. If it's gonna make you breathe, breathe. You know, calm breathing can help reduce some of the symptoms. So inhale slowly through the nose for four seconds. Pause for one to two seconds, and exhale slowly from your mouth for four seconds. You know, pause for a couple seconds before taking the next breath. And that calmness regulates your intake of oxygen and prevents dizziness, lightheadedness, tingling, sensations, that can help you. Also, deep muscle relaxation. And that is to learn to eliminate muscular tension and stress. Deep muscle relaxation should be practiced every day as a prevention mechanism, not just when you feel panic and stress. If you need certain muscle groups like your shoulders to get that, then let that muscle relaxation take place so that you understand what it feels like to have relaxed shoulders and neck. That is a very important place because that's where we hold a lot of our anxiety. And guess what? That's also where our nerve endings are that go into our brain. And that channels a lot of different signals through our body that can affect our health. So, you know, you also want to learn to challenge the thoughts that are associated with panic attacks. You know, overestimating, catastrophizing. To break the cycle of panic attacks, we need to change the way we think and change our actions. Faith, 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 faith. Also, we want to challenge your overestimating thoughts. And you need to understand that overestimating thoughts are guesses about what will happen. They're not the facts. Next, you need to assess the evidence for and against your thoughts. This is important. We have to be objective about ourselves. You know, why don't you ask yourself, how often have I had this thought during a panic attack? Has it ever actually happened? Next time, I have this thought during a panic attack. Is it likely to happen? You know, it can be helpful to remember that your fears are highly unlikely to happen while you have had these thoughts many times before. It's just that you have chosen to react to them. You know, how bad is it really? Would it affect your life in a week or a month from now? What actions could I take to cope if, if I if I did better? You know, what can I make a difference in my life? Well, maybe exercise, maybe taking care of your body might help you. Some people work out, and that gives them a sense of control over their life. All right, that's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I love hearing from you. And you can do that at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, panic attacks can be considered your cardio for the day. Also, life is a constant panic attack, interrupted by a sandwich. Also, when some people want to die, they have a panic attack instead. Also, seeing a spider is not a problem until it disappears. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: That's our show for this week.